have a question for you. How many words do you think an adult speaks in a day? <laughs> the internet said, yes, yeah, somebody said many. The internet said a range from 2,000 all the way to 20,000 with women having to speak a lot more words than men. At least that's what the wisdom said. All I know is that this weekend, by the time I finish the sermon for the third time, that alone will make up 13,000 of my words <laughs> for this week in less than 24 hours. So that doesn't happen, of course, every week. But I want you to consider for the moment how in our society we use words. We use words primarily to communicate information or to motivate people to change or to do something for us or for themselves. And once this desired intention has been accomplished, when the information has been communicated and the desired action has been produced, the words then cease to be useful anymore. And without our actually being aware of this, we've carried over this understanding of words into the Bible, the Word of God. And we see it primarily in terms of those two categories of communicating information and maybe motivating us. And so once the information has been acquired, why it inevitably gets boring. Reading our Bible, or as Christians call it, having our devotions sounds more like taking your daily antibiotics. With the attendant loss of joy and anticipation. How do we contrast that with these kinds of sentiments that you find in the scriptures? The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. I open my mouth and pant longing for your commandments. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. How do we recapture the wonder of the word? That's what I want to talk about today. This is our second in the series of building gyroscopes in our soul that enable us to stay on track and live as called people in a driven world. And last week we looked at one passage of scripture. Today I'm talking not so much about a particular passage of scripture, although we'll get to it, but to a way of looking at scriptures as a whole that has served as one of these gyroscopes in my life that has incredibly stabilized my own life. Well, let's kind of begin where the Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1. It is a story of creation. And the repeated phrase in that first chapter is, and God said, and it was. It's what theologians call creation by fiat, by God's spoken word. So in the opening movements of the Bible, the word of God is presented to us, not as informational, but a voice that calls something into being that wasn't there before. And then as God's word continues to speak, that which was created slowly begins to take shape. And that which was shaped then begins to get filled. So the very opening movement of this thing that we call the word of God. Presents God's word as a voice that calls something into being that wasn't there. Shapes it and then fills it. Psalm 19 picks up the story and when you read these words. The heavens declare, notice the speech words here. The heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So this shaped and filled creation that was brought into being by the voice of the Lord, now itself becomes a voice, a megaphone that amplifies the glory of the Creator. You pick up a third theme as you continue reading in the Psalms. Notice again, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. 
The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. These are words of destruction. So God's word is not only a voice that brings something into being, shapes it and fills it so it itself becomes a voice that proclaims his glory. It is also a voice that sits in terrifying judgment over its creation. As we continue reading in the Bible, we come to the prophets in the Old Testament. Those who spoke for God. And regularly we read this phrase, the word of the Lord came to so and so, to one of the prophets. Again, because of our preoccupation with words as conveyors of information and motivation, there's an unconscious picture that we smuggle into our understanding of what it means when the word of the Lord came to someone. We never articulate this way, but we almost imagine God tapping somebody on the shoulder and saying, hey, I've got lots of information to give to my people, so write it down and let them know. Nothing could be further from the truth, for when the prophets were saying that the word of the Lord came to me, they were not talking about dictation, they were talking about an event that took over their whole lives. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Amos was a prophet who spoke to the northern kingdom. And it says here, the lion has roared, who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? When Amos was charged by his audience to say, we don't want to listen, you go preach somewhere else, or stop speaking. He says, how can I do that? I have a lion stuck in my throat. Those of us who are older will remember that whole Esso commercial, put a tiger in your tank. Remember that one? Well, that's kind of what Amos is saying. You want me to stop speaking? I don't have information to give to you. There's a lion roaring in my throat. How can I quit? And then there's the prophet Jeremiah. Fifty years he preached to a people that were heading headlong into exile because of their sustained disobedience. And therefore his preaching continually brought him trouble. And Jeremiah was unique in the Bible. He complains a lot, you know. Complains to God a lot. I have a photograph of him hanging, or a picture of Rembrandt's painting of him hanging in my study for that reason. He understands what pastoral work can be like sometimes. But Jeremiah wanted to quit. And this is what he says. But if I say I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name. His word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed I cannot. One man says it's like a lion in my throat. Another man says it's like fire in my bones. And listen, when God's word takes over a prophet's life so that it's like a lion, it's like fire, he can't quit. This is not dictation. This is not a commission to communicate information or motivate people. This is possession that burns inside of you and you cannot stop. This morning, reading from God's word, he said, I make my ministers like wind and my servants like a flame of fire. And that's what I prostrated myself on my study at home and prayed that God would make me that this morning. And then as you continue on, you come to the last prophet in the Old Testament, Malachi. By this time, Israel had grown weary of being in captivity. First to Babylon, then to Medo-Persia. And so their worship had become mechanical, had become, they became a skeptical, cynical people. And God through Malachi is confronting how their worship has become cynical. And they are a cynical people, so they respond to him. The whole book is a dialogue between God's prophet and God's people. They, he confronts, they respond with cynicism. And in the process, the majority of them are getting hardened, while a very small minority is getting softened. And when you put all of this together, you get this picture of the word of the Lord in the Old Testament. It's about as far from information and motivation as you can think of, although those things happen. 
If I can summarize it in a paragraph, it would go something like this. God's word is the vo- from the beginning is the voice of the Lord that brings something into being that wasn't there before. It shapes and fills that created material so the shaped, filled creation becomes a voice that amplifies the glory of the creator. It is a voice that sits in destructive power over its creation. It is a voice that invades the prophets and becomes like a lion in their throat and fire in their bones so they cannot squit. And it is a voice that continually pulls the listeners into a dialogical relationship with them, leaving them either harder or softer, but never the same. That's the picture of the word of the Lord in the Old Testament. Then come the blank pages in our Bible, 400 years of silence, when the prophetic voice is dead for 400 years. Until all of a sudden, it breaks out again. Luke chapter 3 verses 1 to 2. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. And the next words in Luke's gospel are, and he came out, a voice crying in the wilderness. Many things had changed in these 400 years of silence. Babylon's power had gone to Persia. Persian power had gone to Alexander in Greece. And now Rome was in power. But one thing didn't change. That the word of the Lord was still primarily a voice. A voice of God doing exactly the same thing that it did in the Old Testament. But amazing though this was. Amazing though the shattering of a 400 year prophetic silence of the word of God was. The best was yet to come. Because now, within six months of John bursting on the scene, this word that brought something into being out of nothing, this word that shaped and filled creation so it could become a voice, this word that sat in terrifying judgment over creation, this word that was a fire in Jeremiah's bones and a lion in Amos' throat, this word that pulled people into dialogue and transformed them was about to become An audible, visible voice in this world. And in the life of Jesus, as you read the Gospels, you will find that his word did everything the voice of the Lord did in the Old Testament. It created bread, fish, money to pay taxes, just because he said so. It stood in destruction over creation when he said to the fig tree, you will not bear anything anymore. And in an instant, overnight, it was dead. It was the voice that invaded the prophets, hardened, skeptical fishermen who long ago had given up hope of self-styled messiahs coming to set them free from Rome, dropped their nets and followed him just at the basis of two words, follow me. And his word became a fire in their bones so nobody could stop them from speaking, even at the threat of martyrdom. And his word continually pulled people into dialogue. By the way, that's why John's gospel says in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And while the word Logos had all kinds of other nuances to it, at the very least it contains this idea that Jesus was associated with that word. He was the voice. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In in one way, John's gospel is just a long series of dialogues that transform people. (laughs) John chapter 3, Jesus and Nicodemus. I read it this morning. John chapter 4, Jesus talking to the woman at the well. 
John chapter 5, he's having a conversation with a man who had paralyzed for 30 years. John chapter 6, 7 and 8, he's debating with the Jews who didn't believe him about the bread of life. John 9, he's having a conversation with the neighbors of the people whom he healed. And everyone was wondering who healed him, why did they heal him? John 13, 14, 15 and 16, he's having his upper room discourse, his last extended conversation with the disciples. John 18, he is talking to Pontius Pilate. John 19, from the cross. John 20 and 21, he's having a conversation with the disciples after his resurrection. And the other three Gospels tell us that near the end of his life, in the last week of his life, all of his opponents, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Herodians, were all in conversation with him, asking him questions, and he was talking to them. And in the process, they were getting harder and harder and harder, while a few people were getting softer and softer and softer. Jesus' voice did what the word of the Lord did in the Old Testament. So from beginning till end, the message is clear. God's word is not something that primarily gives us information, although it does. It is not primarily something that gives us motivation, although it it is at heart a word of relationship. Information and motivation take place in the context of a relationship. God's word is intended to pull us into a dialogical relationship with him that transforms us. You think of it like a marriage, we understand what that's like. Imagine what, what a marriage would look like where the, only in, where the only conversation a husband and wife had was to give each other lists each morning of what the other person needs to do. Information and motivation. Well, of course there's enough of that to do in a marriage, we know that. But if that's all it was, that would not be a marriage. That which is richest in a marriage is, doesn't communicate information, doesn't get the other person to do anything for you or for themselves, but just is. That's not accidental. That's how God's word was supposed to function. So, so our focus, our focus, the critical shift needs to be from reading for information to listening in order to relate to the speaker. It was this shift in my understanding of the word of God that has made it into a gyroscope in my Until then it was all motivation and information. In Eugene Peterson's inimitable phrase, we need to turn eyes into ears. We need to shift the focus from reading for information, although we do that, to listening in order to relate to the speaker. So that whatever information and motivational exchange can take place, does so in the context of a relationship that transforms us. So in the second half of the message, I just want to give you some practical ideas of how that might work. Now remember, this is not a formula. This is one person's journey. This is something where I've seen common elements that are necessary. But treat them like an expert recipe. You know, when I try to make pancakes, I, I don't do it very often. When I try to make pancakes, I follow exactly the recipe and it always comes out pasty and yucky. Sham never reads any instructions at all. She just throws in a bunch of things, mixes them, and it always comes out fluffy, right? That's why she makes the pancakes, I eat them. <laughs> think, of, think of these ingredients that way. Then They're not just a precise formulaic mixing. Get a sense of what this stuff looks like, and then you're going to have to mix it. <laughs> you're going to have to make a 500 yucky pancakes before the fluffy one turns up. Okay, here we go. First of all, believe that God does speak and we can hear. As Sheila pointed out, she didn't know I was going to say this. I didn't know she was going to say this. If we do not believe that God actually speaks and that we are all intended and able to listen, we won't do the hard work required to hear. This is not just for pastors. This is not just for professors. Sadly, sometimes the pastors and the professors are the last ones to get it. Because they get so occupied with studying the text. 
Although we have to do that too. I spend a lot of time studying too. This is intended for every single one of us. We're made for this. Our minds and our hearts are made for the word of God. That's why, by the way, I began. Because faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. That's why I began the first half of this message. and didn't just rush into the how-to's. Because unless you believe, you're not going to follow the how-to's. That's why what God's word says about God's word is so important. So that you change the focus from reading to listening. It is as you grapple. That's why this this week's study guide gives you three or four passages of scripture, both in the Old and the New Testament, to grapple with this until this idea becomes central to you. Until you say, yes, this is how I want to see the word of God. This is how I see it. And then you will, be, you will be able to persevere in the work that you need to do. Excuse me. <coughs> what happens next after that? I want you to think with me for a moment about how all of us learn our mother tongue. And I never had time when my children were growing up to observe all these things. But the beautiful thing about being a grandfather is you have lots of time to watch when the children are growing up. You know, the day they are born... They are immersed into a sea of words. Hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of words. Mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, brothers, neighbors, all cooing around the baby in the bassinet speaking words non-stop. Now that baby doesn't understand a thing. In fact, in the beginning, I don't, I don't, I'm not a doctor, but somebody who was actually a speech therapist once explained to me that this is more or less how it works. That in the beginning, they don't distinguish the noise of speech from the noise of non-speech. And then slowly the differentiation begins to take place. The first differentiation is the differentiation of speech from the noise of non-speech, like the slamming of a door or a backfiring of a truck. Then comes the distinguishing between the voice of the primary caregiver, usually the mother, and other people. And then somewhere about six months or so into the journey... There comes that amazing day when you speak the baby's name and the baby turns his or her head. Joe, Mary, John, they turn their head. You can shout all you want on day one, that baby is going to turn his head. Now you say, well, this is all very interesting. So what does this have to do with the Bible? Here, listen, let me ask you the question. How many words did that baby have to hear before he or she could recognize personal speech? Probably millions. It took immersion in something that the baby couldn't understand and couldn't recognize in order for it to understand and recognize. What would you think of the mother or the father who said, that baby doesn't understand anything, I'm not going to speak to it until it can. Yeah, it never will. Immersion precedes understanding. Immersion precedes recognition of personal speech. And so it works exactly the same way to God's word. You need to expose yourself continually to all of God's word. You need to immerse yourself in what you do not understand. You need to immerse yourself in something that doesn't sound like personal speech at all. So that it will eventually become personal speech. I understand this year that because of the later spring, both the gra- grass and the, gr- and the trees are releasing their pollen at the same time. It's misery. So you'll have to bear with me in this sniffing. (laughs) Start reading the Bible from cover to cover. And keep reading it for the rest of your life. 
And don't worry about the things you don't understand. Because speech and language and syntax are slowly forming inside of you. And it takes a long time. I started this in 1984 when I'd been a Christian for about 22 years. I'm in my 31st year of doing this. I wish I had started a lot earlier. Now as the child continues to immerse itself in the sea of words all around it, something else begins to happen. Somewhere along the way, another two, three months, some sooner, some later, they start speaking. (laughs) The day they can hear personal speech isn't the day they start back. That's still a few months down the line. Now in the beginning those words are barely intelligible, except to a sibling and to to a mother. And then all of us who raise children know that amazing day, maybe you're driving, maybe you're walking, Maybe you're putting them to bed. When an entire sentence comes out of their mouth. Syntax, language, grammar, everything perfect. They never went to school. Because it was forming. Immersion was forming that all the time. And here's the most important thing to remember, folks. It may seem tautological, but we don't often apply to the scriptures. If they have been immersed in English, the first sentence that comes out of their mouth isn't German. <laughs> the language that comes out of their mouth is exactly the language with which, into which they were immersed. Now apply that to the scriptures, exactly the same thing is true. As you keep immersing yourself in God's word and personal speech begins to intensify, as you continue something else will begin to happen, you will then begin to start speaking back. It will slowly become a fire in your bones and a line in your throat and you will want to speak it back, not only to others, but to God himself. And guess what? You will speak it back in the same language that was spoken to you. This is the merging of scripture and prayer the divorce of which has caused all of our problems. Because that's why, that's why this is for information and motivation, and this is my prayer, and both of them are boring. When, when they were, set to, were intended to merge together like this. You know, have you ever wondered how all human conversation takes place? It takes place exactly like that. We take our cues from what somebody says to us. If Steve would ask me, hey, how was your week? I don't say, look at my shoes, they're red. If you heard that conversation, you know that something was wrong with me. (laughs) Nobody speaks like that. Yeah, why do we speak that way to God? I finished reading what he has to say to me. Now I'm going to talk about something else altogether. No, we take our cues from what is said to us. And that's what happens as we continue immersing ourselves in language. Initiating speech becomes responding speech. That's what happened to babies and the way we learned our mother tongue. That's what is intended to happen when it comes to our exposure to God's word. Initiating speech becomes responsive speech. And we can respond in a variety of ways, right? All of which are appropriate. Like Steve would ask me, how, how was your week? I could talk about my preaching. I could talk about my physical problems. I could talk about longing for my vacation. I would say anything. All of those would still be appropriate responsive speech. So this is nothing canned. In fact, this is incredibly flexible. But the essence of it never changes. And by the way, it takes the relationship to a whole new level. Just like when a baby starts speaking, that takes the relationship to that child to a whole new level. And we never ever want to go back to the cute old days. In fact, if a physical problem caused that, it would be a source of great grief in a home, wouldn't it? In exactly the same way, once you begin to relate to God like this, you never want to go and go back to devotions again. Reading my Bible over here, hastily praying over here. That doesn't work anymore. 
Because your relationship has gone to a whole new level. And all the motivation, all the information exchange that takes place, continually takes place in the context of a relationship. The relationship trumps everything. And you are transformed more by the relationship than by the communication of the information. They just begin to blend. Are you getting an idea what I'm talking about? Now this is so far removed from our normal experience that you need some illustrations. The scripture, by the way, is full of it. If some of you worked on the study guide from last week and took time to read that story of David's interchange in 2 Samuel 7, you saw a beautiful illustration of God speaking to David and David speaking back to God. And the entire prayer was shaped by what God had said to David. I want to give you some, an illustration from my own life. I, I could give you so many, <clears throat> but here's one that's perhaps better than any illustrates. And again, some of you have been here for a while. I've heard this in other contexts. Uh, so that's a certain respond in prayer shaped by what he says to you. So one, one morning several years ago, I was in the ravine reading, uh, in my regular reading, in my immersion part of my communion with God, when I came across Psalm 115. It's a, it's a psalm that contrasts the lifelessness of the idols with Israel's Jehovah. And it says this, By their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but they cannot see, they have ears but they cannot hear, noses but they cannot smell, they have hands but cannot feel, feet but they cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Now as I was reading this, I was just suddenly struck. By the way, when you say I was suddenly struck, that's God speaking to you. <laughs> that's just another euphemism for God getting here at hand. Initiating speech is taking over. I was just kind of struck by the implications. If idols don't have mouths, hands, nose, feet and whatnot, that says to me, my God does. My God, the God whom I am, in whose presence I am worshipping and speaking to, has a mouth that can speak, eyes that can see, hands that can feel, ears that can hear, feet that can walk. What does that mean? So, that's what he was saying to me that day. This is the kind of God into whose presence you are coming to. And so here was my response to the speech to him. I don't remember the exact words I used that day, but... I've come to this text many, many times since. But I prayed, I found myself praying something like this. God, thank you that you have a mouth that speaks. That I don't have to come to a God who's silent. That I thank you that this morning and the rest of the time that I'm going to spend with you, that you are going to be speaking to me. I'm going to be hearing words that are going to make a difference for me for the rest of the day. And then I simply brought into his presence many of the situations that I was facing that day and asked him to speak wisdom to me into those situations. And then I said, Lord, I thank you that you have eyes to see what I'm really like. That, that you know me better than I know you. And like we sang earlier this morning, you see the depths of my heart and you love me the same. Now, something like that is what I prayed that morning. Father, I thank you that you have ears to hear. Therefore, I can be absolutely confident that you are the one person who has undivided attention for me. That whatever else happens to my prayers this morning, one thing I can be sure of is that it will not be ignored. It will never be forgotten. Listen, there's nobody else about whom we have that confidence. Not even our spouses. Not even our children. Not even our parents. We do not have a guarantee of undivided attention where every word matters. There is only one person because he has ears that can hear and he has all of the time that he needs to pay attention to it. I said, what about nose? What kind of initiating speech is a God who has a nose? <laughs> now, what's appropriate responsive speech to a God who has a nose? 
Well, listen, he is, it's his job to initiate, so I asked him. And here's a picture that came to my mind when I walked into my favorite Indian restaurant. Unfortunately, it's gone. Corporate greed has swallowed up Young Street, you know. So I can't go to Cuisine of India anymore. But when I used to walk in there, I was assaulted by the fragrance of tandoori chicken, fresh. And, and my mouth would just drool at the anticipation of the feast that lay ahead of me. And the staggering, the staggering realization that came to my mind was, that's how God sees my offering. That he takes a holy delight. He's not a God who has to listen reluctantly. Sometimes we listen to our children because, oh, we ought to, good parents have to do it. But rather be doing something else, but I have to listen, not him. That keeps you going in prayer far more than any prayer list ever can. To know that you're talking to a God who says, your, your offering is coming up to me like a fragrant offering, and I just take a holy delight in it, so keep going. So I did. So I just thanked him. That morning my prayer was responsive to me. He said, Lord, thank you. Thank you that it is not reluctant that you are actually taking a great delight in my praying like this. Oh, that just keeps me going for a little while longer. I don't want to quit. Who wants to quit in the presence of a God like that? And then hands. He has hands. And you know, by the way, this is how initiating speech works. As you keep up this for a while, God's spirit starts pulling into into the equation, into the relationship, not even just what you're reading, but stuff that you've read some other time. So that morning, all of a sudden, this picture came into my mind of a chapter on the Lord's Prayer that I read from Joy John Ogilvy many years ago, and he tells the story of a Middle Eastern shepherd who was blind. He had about a hundred sheep in his flock, but he could tell every one of his sheep apart from the others just by rubbing his hands over their faces. I, there were tears flowing down my eyes at that point. I said, God, thank you. And of 6.7 billion people in this world, you know me. And you affirm everything that is unique about me because you are rubbing your face over my hand. And by the way, at that moment, I started praying for people in this congregation who I knew needed an experience with God like that. Especially those who had been abused, uh, who bore scars, emotional scars and physical scars. said, Lord, rub your hands over their faces, tell them apart and tell them that you are unique. There is no other God like you. Do you see how answering speech works? And then, of course, feet. He's a God who marches with seven league boots. He goes everywhere before I can get there. And so I just finished my prayer time that morning by just mentioning every single appointment that I had. I said, Lord, I know you're going there. And this morning I was able to remember that. I said, Lord, thank you that when I step into that pulpit, you're there already waiting for me to come. By the way, this is how prayer becomes two-way. You know, you, haven't you always heard this from the time you're a child, if you're a Christian? Prayer is a two-way conversation. But you've never had that experience? Lord, I, I think it was uh, Christians in his book, Larry Christian in his book, uh, Conversation with God, talks about his two and a half year old niece who one morning suddenly burst out at prayer time. Jesus, Jesus, that's all I hear about in this house and he never says nothing. <laughs> that child had put her finger inherently on the problem, right? But it's intended to be this way. God's word is the means by which we, we have that dialogical relationship with him. And precisely because prayer is answering speech and not initiating speech, precisely because his word is living and active, the same word, the same word can initiate a very different kind of prayer. A couple of years later, I was reading the same text, and I, my mind this time was attracted, or trust God spoke to me about the next verse. Those who make them will be like them, and all, so will all who trust in them. 
This time God's focus was said, it's not just me, because you're like me, you can, because you're in, involved with me, you can become like me. And so this time my responsive prayer was completely different. It wasn't about God, it was God, give me a mouth that can speak powerful words. That can pull people into a dialogical relationship with you. Give me eyes to be able to see what people are really like. Help me to see invisible reality. Give me ears to hear what their heart is really saying. Give me hands to be able to affirm their uniqueness. And let me appreciate what they are giving to me so that they believe that I take a holy delight in them. So it was all prayer for my ministry that day. A very different kind of prayer from the same text. That's why this isn't canned. This isn't mechanical. You never know where this will take you. Lastly, and with that, we'll finish the sermon anyway. Persevere. This won't happen overnight. You're learning a new language. Babies don't learn language in a short while. It takes them a long time. Last night in the question and answer session, when I asked people to either give me questions for which they wanted amplification or additional comments, one woman got up and said, I did this many years ago. She used to come to this church before. She worships in upper room now. She said, And I started doing this. She said, it took me three years before everything I hated became a source of delight. (laughs) So it's going to take a while. G.K. Chesterton put it this way. He said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And I kind of paraphrased it to this issue. People don't hear God speak, not because they have tried and can't, but because it takes time and they quit. People don't hear God, not because they have tried and can't, but because it takes time and they quit. So I want to encourage you. Let me just quickly come and believe. This is your mother tongue. This is what you were intended to. Every single one of you can learn to hear God speak this way and respond to Him. And and, and the speaking, again, try and think of it not primarily in terms of information and motivation, although that will happen. Try and think of it primarily in terms of the relationship. The relationship is the end. That, and it's that encounter, the relational encounter that transforms us. Just think of how many times, how many people have touched us by the fact that we're in relationship with them. Not just because of what they spouted to us from a distance, but because we have engaged with them in a face-to-face relationship. And then secondly, expose yourself to all of God's Word. Start reading from cover to cover. Now, I, I follow the one-year Bible because it helps, it reads, I read in four different portions, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs. And the Psalms are very helpful because they are the largest portion of the Bible that are already written in the first person form in prayers. So if you find this kind of thing difficult, it's a great place to start. You could do worse than just simply pray the Psalms out aloud to begin with. And remember, I go through the, I attempt to go through the Bible every year, but speed is not the issue. Immersion is the issue. If you want to take three years to go through it, I don't care. The important thing is go through all of it, keep on going through it, all of it for the rest of your life. And immerse yourself in it. And then, as I said, respond. Be bold. Let your imaginations get hooked. Next week we're going to talk about a very different way of doing this. But still on the same area on how a portion of scripture can do this for us. And then finally, as I said, persevere. It takes time. The picture that God gave to me for uh, our blessing today took me back to the time when Jesus put both of his fingers in a man's ears and said, be opened. Most of us are not deaf. Maybe there's nobody deaf here. But when it comes to hearing God's word, we need that. So that's my blessing for you. May Jesus put his finger in your ears and say, be opened so that you can hear his voice speak to you.
Go in Jesus' name.